The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Today, I want to talk to you about Acts chapter 4. We've been going through the early life of the church. And as you read the scriptures, not just like one verse or whatever, and you begin to read over chapters of the scripture, you begin to see these overarching themes that are wonderful. Yami talked about transformation, and I would say there's a lot of transformation in here. Yami shared last week on transformation and and faith. And when I read these chapters, and I'm going to go back a little bit to chapter 2 all the way through 4 today, I see this man Peter, who is completely messed up. In the most critical point of Jesus' need, he denies him, not once, but three times. And then, amazingly, he's able to lay down his failures He's able to lay everything down and receive the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in his life and rise up, not just to see his own life transformed, but he sees the streets of Jerusalem transformed. He sees the courts getting affected by hearing the gospel. And then it goes beyond and even it takes the church to a whole new level is what you see. God wants to take us from glory to glory. And in Peter's life, you see Peter going from glory to glory, and the church rises up with him. So, I'd like to start off with um, the words Jesus spoke to Peter even before he denied the Lord. If we turn to Matthew 16, you'll see in Matthew 16, Jesus says to all the disciples, he's talking to them, he says, but what do you guys say about me? Who do you say that I am? And the one to stand up says, is Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I wonder if there was a pause in the room at that moment. Like the, did he really say it? He really said it. Yeah, it's true. You know, what settled on their hearts when that was proclaimed? We know other times when Jesus' name was truly proclaimed, people around him fell flat on their faces. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you imagine Jesus coming to you in the middle of the night and speaking profound destiny over your life? Hey, Peter, what you've just said isn't coming from you. Only the Father in heaven could have revealed that. You are hearing from the very throne room of God. You have truth, son. You have truth. And upon this rock, Petros, I'm going to build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says more. It's like, what does this mean? Keys to the kingdom of heaven. We always put Peter up as a, the one at the pearly gates because of that line. I don't know that that's all that it is. I think we see Peter unlocking the kingdom of heaven on earth in these chapters. All right. Luke chapter 22, we also see Jesus speaking directly to Simon. And it's interesting that he says this twice to Simon, the one who always seems to have to have, take it three times. He has to hear it three times before it sinks in. But here's Simon. 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 And this is in the original Greek. Simon. Simon. He says it twice, or the Aramaic, excuse me. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter. Notice he switches the name there. I tell you, Peter, the rock, Petros, Petra, same root word. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me, deny three times that you know me. And we know that Peter eventually did this. I am a person who loves art history. Um, I'm always trying to drag people to the museum with me because I do like the museum. Um, but this is a painting by a Dutch master. But this Dutch master was deliberately making it dark because this scene took place in, in the night in the garden when Peters are hiding in the dark and a woman comes up to him. A woman. They point this out. You were with him. No. No. She, another woman comes up. You were with him. No, I don't know the man. And then if you read Matthew and Mark, on the third time, he says, I never knew the man. And he calls curses upon himself. I mean, this is a dramatic moment. And here's Peter. No, 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 I don't know him. I don't know him. The one who was willing to go to death. It says after this, Peter wept bitterly. Okay? He wept bitterly. He knew how badly he'd messed up. How devastating. And then to know that your friend is now going to the cross and you didn't stand up for him. Your friend has not only been suffered, but now he's dying. And you feel a bit of responsibility, like I could have stood up for him. This is called the passion flower. Some of you grow it in your backyards and your gardens here. When the Spanish missionaries first found this in the tropics, they said this is the passion flower. It is the incarnation of the death of Jesus Christ. It is a flower that tells the story of Jesus. But there's a funny twist to it. If you look in the very middle, there's, there's three prongs. And so the Spanish missionary said, that symbolizes the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus came to earth because it's up on top. Then underneath it, there's five other prongs. And the Spanish missionary said that this represents every wound upon Jesus' body, one on each hand, one on each foot, and the spear that pierced his side. Then beneath that, we have something called the corona, which is that part of the daffodil that usually stands up, you know, that part that kind of like a trumpet. Well, the corona in this is hairy. Can you guess what that stands for? Crown of thorns. But this is where the twist is. The Spanish missionaries had to kind of work it a little bit. If you look on the outside, count the petals. There are 10 petals. What do you think the, the missionaries said the 10 petals stood for? There's, no, there's nothing really 10 in the story, you know? It's kind of like, what's it going to be? They said, it's the 12 disciples minus the two that disowned him. 
I don't generally put Peter in Judas's category. I don't usually put him down that low and I don't realize the, the defamation, the, the pain that Peter brought. It even says in that moment, after Peter denied Christ the third time, he looked and he could see Christ through a window, eye to eye. What despair to be lowered like Judas, the one who was chief of the pack, the one who was going to stand with him. What we see, though, is that failure did not stop Peter. Instead of holding on to that failure, he was able to let go somehow. And it's not exactly elaborated in the scripture. But we know that in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he delivers this sermon. So, all the disciples are locked up in the upper room. The Holy Spirit of God comes. And people start saying, they come out speaking in other languages. The whole city is filled with people from around the world. And they say, oh, they're drunk. They're drinking. Look at those guys. What are they doing? This is a festival. They're drunk. And Peter stands up. Peter, the one who failed so miserably. The one who called curses upon himself because he said he didn't know Jesus. This is what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, and this is, this is whom you crucified. What boldness. We have generational distance from this. So when we hear Jesus died on the cross, we can kind of distance ourselves from it. Whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. Power. Boldness. This Jesus, whom you crucified, was both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what will we do? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And, don't miss this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, you crucifiers of Christ. This promise is for you, same you, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter has laid down his failure, and he's taking this position of having the keys of the kingdom. He, upon the rock, the church is being built. Not just in words, but this is Peter who can speak from real life pain and trauma and say, you, have, you can repent of crucifying your Lord. You can repent of killing the Messiah. You can repent. I repented of denying my Savior. And I've received the Holy Spirit. He walked the road of complete and utter despair from point A to point B. So he's not just speaking theology. He's speaking this is life. You can receive the Holy Spirit. You can go from A to B. Then chapter 3, same thing. But in chapter 3, 
Here he goes in the temple. He goes through the gate called beautiful. Some say it's the double gate that um, had domes over it that were real beautiful. They don't know actually which gate it was. But just going in there, probably the same door he entered with Christ himself on other days. This was a, a normal entrance, the common entrance, most likely, for, for everyone. And there he sees the man lame. He says, silver and gold, I have none. And he jumps to his feet. And it's interesting here because in the account, they walk over to Salmon's portico, which is right through the temple grounds. It's not just like, okay, step over here to the side. No, they walk right through the temple, and the crowd comes after them because a man who was healed is 40 years. He was, he was um, lame, leaping and jumping. And this is what he says in the portico. This is Peter again the one who could have lived the rest of his life with a failure. Acts 3, 14 through 15. You disowned the holy and righteous one. Who else disowned the holy and righteous one? Peter did. Peter disowned the holy and righteous one. This is the same one that Peter had heard from God Almighty in heaven that this is the Messiah, the Christ. He knew who he was. He declared who he was, and he disowned him. And now he's saying to this crew, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. And this is one of those powerful, poetic lines in the scripture that always grips me. You killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. That's like one of those things that you just got to sit on. But God raised him from the dead, and we are a witness of this. And then in verse 9, he goes on again. He says, you don't have to stay in point A. You killed him, the author of life. He says, but repent, and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. He has walked A to B, and he's declaring it to others. Acts chapter 4. Now this is a chapter I'm supposed to be preaching on today. So just to set the tone. After this guy gets healed, he preaches to the crowd. All the religious leaders get very upset with him and arrest him. And it says in chapter 5, or verse 5, excuse me, the next day, the very next day, after Peter has spent the night in prison, the rulers, okay, the elders... And the teachers of the law, this is a big crowd of people. Then Annas, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and, Bron, Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. So imagine this. Peter's preached on the streets of Jerusalem. He's preached in the temple grounds. And now he's being brought into this room with all these religious leaders and knowledgeable men, probably in their proper garbs, their big turbans, just the intimidation of it all. Just Peter and John, a fisherman. And what does he say? Surrounded by this crowd of people. They ask him, by what power or what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I know this is a big discussion among theologians, like how can you be filled with the Spirit if you've already been filled? And I heard one preacher say, it's because we leak. You need to be refilled. You need to stay close to God so you get filled back up. We leak. But here it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. I wonder what that prison cell was like. In this account, they don't tell us. But other times, um, Paul and Silas and others were able to worship God in prison. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Listen to this again. Imagine him saying this to a room full of men who are directly responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. This isn't just hyperbole. This isn't just nice words. He's speaking directly to these men. These were the same high priests in office. These are the same religious leaders who were there the night he was betrayed. These men were there and they knew the story. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the one the builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting scripture to them. These men know these words. Can you imagine how Jerry bring up scripture? <sighs> Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I want to stop here just for a second. Well, no, I'll finish. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In our day of so many different religions and religions being invented every day. Um, even in Hollywood, they say that people are trained to create their own God, which is basically themselves, and they worship themselves. Um, there's testimonies of this. This isn't me inventing it. But there, there's religions being created all the time. It's very difficult. We as a church are put in a difficult place to state that Jesus is the only way to heaven. A lot of us, kind of just for our own comfort, want to, well, maybe they can get into heaven that way, and maybe they're a good person that way. Jesus wept in the garden, wept tears, and said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, and there's another way people can be saved, if there's another way you can do this work, then please let it pass. But if not, your will be done. Our merciful Father would have never placed his son through this torment if his blood wasn't necessary for the payment of our sins. He would have never done that. You can stand not in religious zeal, but stand in the character of our merciful Father and say, yes, Jesus is the only way. The Father paid a dear price for this way to be opened. And every other way is a 
figment of people's imagination. It's a trick. It's a road to nowhere. There's only one road. It takes boldness to hold it in your heart, but hold it in the mercy of God. And then the reality of people's destiny will rise us up as a people. We'll talk more about that. But So, here's Peter and John, surrounded by the pomp and circumstance of the religious system of the day. And they still say, you crucified him. But salvation is found in him. Their courage, this filling of the Holy Spirit stood out to them. And they said, oh, these guys have been with Jesus. Now, so we've talked about them going on the streets of Jerusalem to all the nations, in the temple, proclaiming truth, in the religious system. But then we have to also realize that when people lay things down to receive the better things, they affect the church too. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. So what happened here, I'll give you context, is Peter goes back to, it says, his friend's house. It's so cool. The scripture says friends. He, he, left the, he left the courtyard. He was threatened to not preach in the name of Jesus. And he says to him, he gives him a little bit of smack is what they would call it sometimes. You tell us if it's right to obey you or God. You know, he, he lays it out and like they have no response to these men. And he goes back to his friend's house. And they pray. They say, God of heaven and earth, you made the seas and the earth and all these things. Give us boldness. Proclaim the name of Jesus. Give us boldness. And it says that the place when they were shaking, they were all crying out together, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind and no one claimed that the that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, this is interesting because if you go back to chapter two where the first 3,000 were saved, it says four things that the believers did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Ding, that's excellent. To devote yourself to the word of God, to devote yourself to teaching. Two, they devoted themselves to prayer. Ding, excellent. The church is moving. Three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and also to fellowship with one another. Ding, ding. This is a church that's rising. But look what happens here after Peter comes back from testifying. They pray, give us boldness, God, to proclaim Jesus' name. Let us keep going with this. God shakes the church. And look at the impact on the mind and heart of the people. It says, they were all one heart and mind. Okay? That's not an easy thing to do in churches. That's not something any human being can do. Only God moves us into those positions where nothing else matters but the will and purpose of God. We're just caught up in it. Some call it revival, but it's a place where the church can get to. It's not beyond us, but we have to give ourselves to it. But this other bit, where everybody gives up everything for the, for the well-being of the church. Now, it seems as you read it, it like, as people saw a need, they would sell a field, like Bar Barabbas or Barnabas did. Um, it, some people still had possessions, but they gave it up as, as needed. Think about this for a minute. This isn't a regulation that's been put upon them. This is the outworking of what God has done in their hearts in responding to God, 
It wasn't instituted. It wasn't told. In fact, Paul never institutes a society like this again. In all the other churches, there's never any place where everybody lays down everything for, you know. But here, their hearts are so one that they're willing to give up their nest eggs, if you will. They're willing to give up their security blankets because they say, oh no, this is what I'm giving my life to. It's an act of surrender, like, I can trust God. Look what he's done. He's shaken the nations. He raised his son. There's nothing our God can't do. Peter proclaimed the word. He even spoke to the high priest and told him that he crucified the Lord. What? Their hearts have been shifted as a church group. Peter has affected the world on the streets of Jerusalem. He's affected the religious system and he affected the church. Why? Because he laid something down and he was transformed. This is my point today. Like Peter, we all have lesser things to lay down so that we can pick up, pick up the better things. Sometimes when we try to put things down, though, they stick to our hands, don't they? Like, I don't want that anymore. Ah, it's still there. It like sticks to us. But as we give up those things, as we give up the lesser things, the lies, the attitudes, the patterns that we've developed over time, the things that have become part of our identity maybe even, as we lay those down and say, no, God has something better, we can receive the Holy Spirit and transformational power, refreshing, times of refreshing. We can go from A to B. And some of you need to hear that because there's maybe a part of your life that has been stuck in A. And the enemy has said, that's the way you will always be. You'll always have this. But there's B. Maybe it's, I'll always have these mental illness. I'll always have this depression. I'll always have this despair. I'll always have this anger. I'll always have this or that. I'll always be a failure. I'll always not stand up for Jesus when it's the right time. I'll Never learn how to pray. Whatever A is for you, whatever the Holy Spirit designates as A, what you see is A, you don't have to understand the way to be. You don't have to read the right book. You don't have to read, you don't have to be, like, you don't need to know. You need to trust that God has ultimate power and His Holy Spirit can do a work you could never do. A does not have to be understood the pathway to be. And in essence, the scriptures don't tell us how Peter got through it. It doesn't tell us the road. Every road is a little bit different. I'm going to be honest. I was really perplexed one day in ministry. We were, we were on a mission to Baltimore. And I was like, well, what if this fails? What if we don't have breakthrough? What if this was... And we were praying for this big conference. We'd given up a week. And it was really kind of interesting. And somebody said, just... Shut your mind up. I thought, what? My mind is pretty good. Surely I'm going to figure out a way to bring revival. And, but the, as I said, I thought, you're right. This isn't helping me. You shut this up. It took a while, though. It's like, because I was used to listening to my stupid voice, you know, like my, my mind, like I'm going to figure it out. And it really brought breakthrough in my heart. Like, I don't need to understand. God, I trust you. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how to get there. I know we could fail. I know I'm prone to failure. But no, that does not have to be the road. I'll tell you another story too. 
There was a time period in Florida when Focal Point, many of you met Pastor Mark, he's been here to speak, that we were experiencing amazing things of God, just waves of his spirit and just, just amazing things. And there was a few days that I would go home and I'd rush home from work because I knew I was going to be meeting with God. I, I, same house that I lived in for years, but I knew God was going to be there. And I remember one night that I came home and was worshiping and just delighting in him. And then his presence came in the house in like another level. And I sat there on the floor. I went down and I crouched next to the soft chair because I was like a little schoolboy, like, I don't know who this is. I, I know it's God, but who are you? I was wrapped up in awe. And just this presence was so heavy. And I was just like captivated. I just sat there by the chair and just, wow. I didn't say anything for a long time. And then, either it was that day or the next day, that as I'm worshiping him and his presence is heavy, the Lord spoke to me very clearly three words for people in the church that I barely knew. They were prophetic words. And I don't always operate in the prophetic as clearly as this. But they were clear to me. One was even somebody had forgiven, had forgiven all, all, well, I won't get into that, forget it. But they were very clear. So I went to Pastor Mark and I said, Pastor Mark, I had these words. Actually, Pastor Mark called me that day because he knew something was going on in my heart. He, and I said, Pastor Mark, I've got three words. I don't know, should I share these? And he said, well, well tell me. And he goes, oh, yes, do it immediately because he felt they were from God too. And so, wow, wow, three words, woohoo! And then, shortly thereafter, I had this dream, right? I had this really spiritual dream. And there's probably some truth in it. And then I thought, oh, this means this, and this means that. Oh, and maybe there's, I don't know, I embellished it. You know, you get caught up with yourself, your pride, your arrogance, whatever. And I share it with Pastor Mark. He goes, okay. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is a bunch of bull. (laughs) There might have been truth in it, but I've got my head all wrapped up and wrapped around it. And I just began to weep. Well, I actually ran out of the church pretty much. And I just like, oh God, I don't want to go back to being a normal human being. I don't want to be going back to just a mere human being. I don't want to operate in this pride and this arrogance and this need to make myself something. And I drove home in tears, literally tears. And uh, when you're desperate, you do things that are silly, that seem silly later on. But I was desperate. And so I pulled up a chair in my kitchen floor, right in the middle of the kitchen. And I sat in the chair and I said, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I need all three. And I just bent over and I wept. And I wept and I wept and I wept because I didn't want me. I didn't want the junk. And the physical presence of the Holy Spirit came in that room. I didn't see anything, but I could feel his warmth around me. And I could see that my prayers are always corrupt. I corrupt everything I do. And he still used me all this time. I'm always messed up. I've never had it together. Glory be to God. He uses me in spite of my foolishness and my idiocy and my pride. He still comes through within moments. And I don't know all the magic that he worked. Okay, I know some of you might have a problem with that word. But he worked something amazing in that time. And I went to be. And I'm rejoicing and singing praise because I'm a mess, but he's not, and I'm free. Everything that wanted to hold on to me, 
all my insecurities, all the things that want to say you're always going to be a failure. This little visit into the spiritual realm, (laughs) you'll never make it. I was content because the Holy Spirit took me to be that I was his. Today, maybe it's anger you'd like to get rid of so that there's room for the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's lies. When I first came here, Penny gave a testimony. She said her whole life, I don't know if Penny's here today, but she gave a testimony, we recorded it, that all her life she felt she was just like a second-rate Christian. She was a bad Christian is the word she used. And then when she heard preaching about the Father, she was able to lay down the fact that she never felt like she measured up, but she could receive that the Father loved her and wanted to be a father to her. It changed everything. You guys remember that season. It was a witness to you, wasn't it? You remember that? Those of you who remember, say, yes, I remember. remember. That's a work of God in your midst to raise up hope amongst us. It's like yeast in the leaven to raise us up. And let me tell you, That by Peter laying down his guilt and shame, he set an example for all his listeners because he'd gone from A to B. He'd gone from completely denying Christ to proclaiming him in every place he could. But this example didn't just touch the local community and the nations and the streets. It didn't just touch the religious system. But it affected the culture and atmosphere of the church It affected the faith of the people. When we lay down our arms, when we lay down the tools that we think we have to handle life, say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit. I want times of refreshing. My heart's not been refreshed in a long time. I'm obviously holding on to something. I don't know what it is. But Lord, please, you're full of mercy and grace. But let's just pray. Father God, even as we worship we ask you would speak to our heart. God, show us the things we should lay down. You're a merciful father. You're not coming to condemn. You came to save. You came to refresh. You came to restore. So we approach your throne in faith that you have good things in store for us. God, we ask for grace to lay down the things that need to be laid down to, the things that have intertwined themselves into our identity that are not really ours. We are sons and daughters. We are beloved. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are brought into the beloved. You said that we come under the shadow of your wing and that there's healing there. God, we cry out to you that truth would be held in our hearts and the lies would be peeled back. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts that times of refreshing would come. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.